Welcome to episode 35 of the Montana Values Podcast. In this show, we'll talk about how it's easier to find Bigfoot than it is a Montana statesman. Let's go in search of Sasquatch together with our host, Tammy Fisher. But first, a shout out and thanks to our loyal listener, Nance, from Southeastern Connecticut for another generous contribution to the show. Thank you, Nance. We really appreciate your support. Thanks, Nance. You rock. So today we're talking about statesmanship versus politician because there's a distinct difference. And I'm afraid that we think our politicians are statesmen when maybe they aren't. A statesman or a stateswoman is a respected, skilled, and experienced political leader or figure. A statesman is someone who does everything for the common good of the people he or she represents. To call a person a statesman is a mark of high regard for that person's integrity. Terry Newell authored a book on statesmanship called Statesmanship, Character, and Leadership in America, and he has this to say about statesmanship. Quote, statesmanship is a type of leadership in action not a quality of the individual. Statesmanship is accessible to, though not practiced by, every leader and not practiced by even good leaders much of the time. A leader may engage in statesmanship in one situation and act far less statesmanlike in others. Jefferson practiced statesmanship when he delivered his first inaugural, but not when enforcing his 1807 embargo with a heavy hand that violated his own principles. Nor is statesmanship dependent on success or public approval. An act of statesmanship may produce a positive result, but it may not. It may earn high ratings, but it may not. Washington's statesmanship helped forge a nation, but Lincoln's second inaugural fell mostly on deaf ears. Debate is healthy. It means we are struggling to define the kind of leadership we need. Statesmanship is the moral act of a leader which seeks to call forth the moral character of the nation, taken as prudential judgment within our constitutional framework, amid opposition and personal risk, aimed at achieving an important element of what in the long term constitutes a good society. While a leader may think about statesmanship, there is no statesmanship without action. Washington's thoughts about leaving the presidency and how to preserve the nation's fragile Republican government did not rise to an act of statesmanship until he stepped down and published his address. Yet statesmanship is not just any leadership act. It must serve moral ends, though whether it does may often be the subject of debate. When Susan B. Anthony voted, she was acting under the presumption of rights based on natural law. Yet her opponents charged her with subverting the social order and she was arrested for breaking the law. There are obvious boundaries to moral ends. Action, whose aim is to damage human dignity, cannot be claimed as moral. Values embedded in the nation's founding culture and documents provide help in answering the question of whether a leadership act is anchored in moral ends and is therefore an act of statesmanship, end quote. So we know that statesmen aren't selfish. They do everything in their job for the good of the people they represent. Oftentimes, the good of the people is also for the good of the statesmen, but it is the good of the people that not only comes first, but is the sole reason, the only reason for a political act or decision. Service of self-interest is never part of the equation, not ever. As J.F. Clark said, quote, we have a great many politicians in the country, perhaps as many as the country requires. I should not wish 
to ask for a larger supply of these, but there is a wide difference between the politician and the statesman. A politician, for example, is a man who thinks of the next election, while the statesman thinks of the next generation. The politician thinks of success of his party, the statesman of the good of his country, end quote. Mr. Clark made these remarks in his plea for greater evidence of statesmanship in the conduct of political office holders. He noted a fundamental distinction between those deserving only of the label politician and those categorized as statesmen. He said, the politician, on the one hand, is framed as a self-interested character whose actions are largely guided not by what might be best for his country, but rather by what might get him reelected. His decisions are hence characterized by short-termism, a myopic focus on immediate problems to the detriment of long-term interests and concerns, given that the needs of the future generations are all too frequently demoted in favor of attempts to flatter and appease his contemporaries. According to Clark, a politician is also cowardly, refusing to take risks whose outcomes could damage his current popularity and ever willing to abandon all ideological principles if the tide of the current opinion is against him. Indeed, he is most often happy enough to drift along in the sea of human history rather than attempt to steer a new course for the state. And Mickey... When do you think Mr. Clark made his pleas for more statesmen and less politicians? 2020? Nope. 1870, after the Civil War. Doesn't it feel like 1870 all over again? Mr. Clark's pleas are as relevant today as they were then, aren't they? Do you feel like we have a United States or are we a nation of politicians rather than statesmen? And Mr. Clark's comments were an effort to unite a country after a bitter battle began by the actions of politicians, not statesmen. Was it not a response to failure on the part of national leaders to put aside selfish desires and come together for the common good as statesmen? Clark tells us, quote, The statesman is a higher class of political actor, wholly and absolutely dedicated to his country or his city or his state. Not only is he able to foresee coming events, but he is also sufficiently skilled in the art of politics to put his hand on the rudder and guide the ship of the state towards safety and prosperity. He is idealistic and stands by his principles in the face of adversity, but pragmatic too and capable of weighing up both sides of an argument. Most importantly, however, while the politician believes in the newspaper, the statesman believes in the people. He is not interested in what will merely look good in headlines, but instead in taking steps which will concretely improve the well-being of the nation, end quote. So where are we, Montana? Are our elected official statesmen or politicians? Compare every single one that is supposed to represent you in your town, in your county, your state, and your nation. Do they seek elected positions for self-service or for public service? Do they govern by soundbites? Do they stand by their principles in the face of adversity? Do they have any principles by which they govern at all? Can they, when asked, tell you their principles of governance and how, at every turn, their decisions or legislation supports their principles and benefits the people who elected them? Let's look at some of our elected officials and how they govern, starting at the local level. At a recent Kalispell City Council meeting, legal staff advised the council that usage of social media by elected officials can be a slippery slope, potentially violating Montana's open meetings laws and the sunshine laws of the state. 
Several city council members use Facebook as a means to communicate with the public. The discussion included a councilman's risk giving the public a false impression of council activities that other councilmen and women cannot correct. So when a councilman uses Facebook to, quote, inform the public that he is responsible for a proposal, when in fact a proposal for an ordinance is developed by city staff, amended by the council, and voted on by nine elected officials, that point can't be debated on Facebook without risking violating Montana open meetings laws. Likewise, when a council member suggests the mayor acted heavy-handed when he did not allow discussion on a motion to table or a motion to lift an agenda item from the table, the council is prevented from informing the public that, in fact, the councilman is wrong, that the mayor was following Robert's rules of order, not stymieing discussion. It is also impossible for those that don't use Facebook to access a councilman's, quote, free speech on a private company's social media site. Thus, choosing Facebook to exercise a councilman's free speech effectively limits the public's ability to access the same. Despite these issues, Democrat Councilman Ryan Hunter, who is not so affectionately referred to as the AOC of Kalispell, defended his Facebook use to deliver his free speech. When pressed about the slippery slope he may be creating, Councilman Hunter responded, quote, because I have to run for re-election. Let's listen. Yeah, you know, it is my proposal. I want the public to know that. It, no doubt. How, you know, I'm how a, is it your proposal? Because I was the one that brought it up. I said, I want, let's do an ADU ordinance. That's my proposal. No, no, no. Yeah. The proposal is what's written down on the paper. It's all of the words. It's this, the square footages. It's the, the, the laws, the R zones. That's the proposal. You asked us to bring it to council for a work session, and we did. You didn't write the proposal. You, your, your definition of proposal is wrong, Ryan. I, I was the one that proposed a thousand acre, a thousand square foot what? limit. And, and I, you know, so I, I don't want to split. I mean, listen, I, you know, yeah. Why is it important I, that you get credit for it? Because, why, why isn't it because I have to run for re-election. I want the public to know what I've done on council. They have a right to know what I've done on council. But you didn't. The public has it. a right. But you didn't propose it. You asked us to do a, a work session, and we did. And we've learned a ton from it, which is great. Republican Councilman Tim Klusner tried to educate Mr. Hunter about being a statesman and not taking personal credit for the work of the city staff and elected body. Yet, Mr. Hunter persisted. I wrote a column about my concerns about Mr. Hunter placing self-service above public service and the use of private social media platforms, which excludes the public from his commentary. He responded with a letter to the editor again, affirming that, quote, these are his words, folks, quote, I consider it my duty and obligation as an elected official to use the most effective and efficient means of communication available to me, to him, folks, not the most effective and efficient means of communication available to the public, but to him. Nope. Again, he digs in and reaffirms his service is to self, not the public he is supposed to serve. Is this a statesman or a politician? Is he an elected official interested in self-promotion or public good? What about at the state level in our legislature? Principles stand regardless of the issue. Principles are a constant. As Mr. Clark said, 
The statesman is idealistic and stands by his principles in the face of adversity, but pragmatic too, and capable of weighing up both sides of an argument. Let's take, for example, our discussion about local control and the failure of elected Republican legislators to stick to principles of local control. We talked about Carl Glimm and his proposal to ban exclusionary zoning in local government. Banning a lawfully enacted zoning law by Whitefish and Bozeman, two cities he does not live in, nor does he represent. And remember, a statesman is someone who does everything for the common good of the people he or she actually represents. Representative Glim represents no one in Whitefish or Bozeman, Montana. Yet he seeks to legislate his view of what local government should look like within the boundaries of Bozeman and Whitefish. And when I called him out for this violation of Republican principles, he responded, just like Hunter did with a letter to the editor, admitting he is violating the Republican platform and in a distorted attempt to defend himself says principles can be sacrificed when a town does something those who don't live in the town find offensive. So for Mr. Glim, principles are variable. But for statesmen and true Republicans, Principles don't bend. They remain as the foundation for governing and for life. A principle, by definition, is, quote, a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning, end quote. They don't bend. So when Mr. Glim says in his letter, quote, I am all for local control, end quote. He means he is all for local control when it suits him, but not for local control when it doesn't suit him. That principle of local control is therefore not a principle Carl Glim has, which is a fundamental principle of being a Republican. Mr. Glim even admits he threatened the Whitefish City Council that if they acted in their community's best interest as the community's governing body, the legislature would override their decision. He said, and I quote, I told the city of Whitefish at one of their work sessions about three years ago, right before I cautioned them, that this process would probably be outlawed by the state legislature, end quote. So as of three years ago, Mr. Glim was clear. He does not adhere to the Republican principle of local control. He uses it when he wants to, but becomes authoritarian also when he wants And why was he testifying about an issue in Whitefish that only affects Whitefish in a place he doesn't reside or represent? Oh, that's right. Because he's a builder and the zoning ordinance would adversely affect him and his industry. And make no mistake, folks, we don't like inclusionary zoning either. We don't like what Whitefish did. We don't like what Bozeman did. But that ain't the answer. The answer isn't because of self interest to threaten and say, don't worry, the state will override this because I personally will carry the legislation that benefits me most. So does Mr. Glim meet the statesman test or the politician test? The answer is clear. The politician is a self-interested character. A politician is also cowardly and ever willing to abandon all ideological principles to maintain popularity or meet selfish ends. When he walked away from the Republican platform and Republican principles for the sake of self-interest, Mr. Glimp revealed himself as a politician and not a statesman. And his cries that exclusionary zoning adopted in Whitefish harm property rights, he's right. But he doesn't represent the people of Whitefish whose property rights are affected. So if he cares about the people of Whitefish, he would advise them to go back to the city council 
the local government and change the zoning ordinance. You don't abandon your principles when you wield power. You adhere to them while still finding a solution that doesn't violate your principles as a Republican and a statesman would do. What about the governor who decided to eliminate the Judicial Nomination Commission and make the appointment of judicial vacancies entirely partisan? Mr. Clark informed us back in 1870, the politician is framed as a self-interested character whose actions are largely guided not by what might be best for his country or his state, but rather what might get him reelected. His decisions are hence characterized by short-termism, a myopic focus on immediate problems to the detriment of long-term interests and concerns, given the needs of the future generations are all too frequently demoted in favor of attempts to flatter and appease his contemporaries. So with the governor, we'll get Republican judges for the next eight years, maybe. And then, based upon what he decided to do, which was politicize the judiciary, if a Democrat is elected, we will get Democrat judges. Short-term thinking and not advancing the ball for Montana, making the judiciary more political when it was supposed to be apolitical is about as short-term thinking as you can get. And why was that decision made? Who in his cabinet would like a judicial appointment? Oh, yeah, that might be the lieutenant governor who was unable to obtain a seat on the Supreme Court when she ran for election. If she is appointed to a judicial seat while a Republican is the governor, you will know by that act whether Governor Gianforte is a politician or a statesman. What about on the national level? Look at Montana's Senator John Tester. Listen to what he said on national TV as the way for Democrats to beat then-President Trump. And I don't think, uh, even in states where Donald Trump won big, that it does you any good running away from Donald Trump. I think you need to go back and, and punch him in the face. That doesn't sound very statesmanlike, and Senator Tester later admitted to the same. And while we acknowledge Senator Tester was speaking metaphorically about the need to stand up boldly using Violent rhetoric against another's violent rhetoric is the work of politicians, not statesmen. But then also look at what Tester did when Ronnie Jackson was nominated as secretary of the Veterans Administration. Well, he practically committed political suicide when he said to a very Trump Montana, Trump's nominee isn't qualified to lead the VA. Senator Tester made this statement when he was smack dab in the middle of a reelection campaign and he faced a barrage of political ads attacking him for that position. He barely passed the finish line on election night, but he always held firm that Ronnie Jackson was not fit to serve as secretary of the VA. And what did we learn later? Tester was right. The Department of Defense Inspector General released a report that contained alleged conduct that occurred when Ronnie Jackson was rear admiral serving as a top White House physician. Now, Ronnie Jackson is now a congressman, but when he was the White House physician, that's when Tester's concerns were raised. So on the statesman versus politician test, we know that a statesman is idealistic and stands by his principles in the face of adversity. Tester stood by his principles in the face of strong adversity and at the risk of losing his reelection. The politician thinks of success of his party, the statesman, for the good of his country. 
Senator Daines has made some big missteps in the past year reflecting his move towards politician from statesmen. We have always supported Senator Daines, and until this last election cycle, we were convinced he was a thoughtful and principled leader. But when he folded like a lawn chair in the middle of July, when the heat was on over the January 6th insurrection, he revealed to us he has no principles at all underlying his decision to object to the state electors' ballots, and then change his mind after the insurrection for no reason other than the occurrence of the insurrection. He was objecting to the electors for political purposes, because it was the popular thing to do, not because it was a principled thing to do. We hope for his recovery back to statesmanlike behavior, but careless words and political sound bites won't get him there. Meaningful action for the good of the country in Montana is required. And Congressman Rosendale? Well, the latest allegations that he mocked a crowd of protesters and flipped them the bird, if true, mark yet another low in our political discourse. Folks, we're working hard to bring back critical thinking to politics. We hope you all are too. We need statesmen as bad now as we did in 1870. We need to remind all of our elected officials that Montana values statesmen and expects statesmanship from our leaders. Like my grandpa told me, don't you ever settle. If you settle now, you will settle for the rest of your life. When you raise your standards, others rise up to meet them. When you lower your standards, others will meet you there too. We can't fix the rest of the country, but we can raise the standard in Montana and require our elected leaders to be statesmen. Montana is full of statesmen and women. We just need to seek them out, elevate them, promote them, and require more of ourselves when we hit the ballot booth. Thank you for taking us with you on your journey today, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Montana Values Podcast. Become a sponsor of the show by going to our website, montanavaluespodcast.com, locating the sponsor page and clicking on the donate button. Subscribe to the show on Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Parlor. Our handle is at MTValues. What's your favorite Montana value? How do you live it? Write to us. Our email address is montanavaluespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.